Hey team, you're about to experience my interview with Matt Donnan. Matt is the e-commerce manager of Thermacell. Thermacell is a designer, manufacturer, wholesaler, distributor, and retailer of natural pest repellent products. Matt has deep experience across D2C and retail e-commerce, and he has brought his firepower experience and knowledge to Thermacell, where the vast majority of their business is done B2B. Enjoy. Welcome to B2B Commerce Corner. Commerce Corner is a sub-series of the E-Commerce Edge podcast discussing all things B2B commerce through the lens of agencies, consultants, merchants, and more. Enjoy. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Pod. As per usual, I've got a cracking guest lined up for you guys today. I'm looking forward to having a conversation with Matt Donan of Thermocell. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Great to be here. It's awesome to have you along for the ride today. And before we jump into what Thermocell is and what they do and how they do it and everything else, and I, I had some questions about that, actually, before we jumped on the, before we jumped on the call. I had an inkling of what the business might be about, but I wanted to do a little bit of homework as well. But maybe before we jump into that and jump right into the deep end, tell us a little bit about how you came to be e-com manager at Thermocell. You got a background at Amazon and sort of sales, marketing, e-com. You got this eclectic mix in your background, but Thermocell is really your first opportunity to get stuck in deep as an e-commerce manager with a brand. Yeah, definitely. Coming out of school, I was an e-com major, and I got a couple internships in buying, right? So I was in a buying for Bed Bath & Beyond, which we know all now is gone. So I love the mix between retail and e-com, right? So as I was starting my career, I was looking at different things, and e-commerce, I feel like, just was coming up five, six, seven years ago, right? It was there, but it wasn't as present as today. And I was like, this is cool. And I got my start at a company called Evenflow. It's a baby CPG company. And there I started as a digital coordinator and got my feet wet with Amazon, Walmart, and a bunch of different retailers. And it was great learnings. And then from there, I was like, where do you learn e-commerce? And that's at Amazon. So I went to Amazon for a couple of years, moved out to Seattle, did my years in Alcatraz, but it was great. It was such a good learning experience. And then I came back and I said, I'm missing that small brand vibe. I really like a company that has a good structure, but necessarily isn't where they want to be growth-wise, but they have that foundation. And that's how I found myself at Thermocell. I also love Boston, so from New York, I think I'm an East Coast guy. So I was like, where's this great company that I believe has a fantastic product, right? And the sales are there, but they just need that little bit push to get over the edge. That's how I came at Thermocell and the manner of become over there. And you were telling me off air that the company has actually also successfully pivoted a couple of times from their initial products and their initial developments that they were doing. It took them a little while to find product market fit, and they were willing to have the courage and the confidence to actually take those steps and make the pivots. How much of that willingness to be scrappy and adjust and that, how much of that played a part in you wanting to work with this brand? A ton. So yeah, Thermocell has been around for over 20 years and has very low household penetration. But it really started off as a hunting product, right? Because there was this portable product, you clip it on, and it keeps the mosquitoes at bay, right? And as they evolve, they realize, hey, if I have a patio, why not do this, right? Or if I'm hiking, or there's so many boating, there's so many different circumstances where mosquitoes are a nuisance, right? And being at a smaller company now, it's, hey, we need to do this, we need this opportunity, let's get it done. There isn't these seven layers to jump through, which I think if anyone who's been in a larger company knows, 
that's the hesitation sometimes, right? Is to do something takes six months of a lot of presentations. Here is, hey, have a good idea, have some data, present it, let's give it a shot. And it's just great to be a part of something like that. And you guys are B2C and, well, D2C actually, because you're a manufacturer. So you're direct to consumer yep. plus your B2B and you offer e-commerce for both. But I also noticed you have a really interesting bent to your products. Not only are you selling to resellers on a B2B basis, but you're also selling via trade partners. And when I say trade partners, I mean you've got this pro product that requires a level of installation effectively by a home handyman or an installer. And so you've gone after these three quite distinct markets, the family DIY kind of person that can buy the product and they can take it camping with them or they can use it on their patio or by their pool or whatever it might be. So that's one segment and that's your kind of your direct consumer segment. Then you've got this reseller segment that you sell to distributors and resellers and retailers. But then you've got this pro segment, which I think the pro segment to a degree is almost one of the most exciting parts for me because it gives those installers the opportunity to make some money off of the installation of your product, but they also become evangelists for your product at the same time. Definitely. Yeah, and Lib was one of our new launches last year. That is the installation product. And currently it is only a direct-to-consumer product, but we do partner with Mosquito Joe and some other partners to help install that product in your yard. So eventually we probably do want to make it more commercial, but right now it is just the, we don't have inventory, it's booming, right? It's this really smart Lib system on an app, right? You turn it on a few times a year, the mosquitoes go away, and it's really meant to replace the filtering of spraying your yards, right? There's a lot of harmful chemicals there, not always great for kids and pets, and this is help alleviate that and for people that like to be at home all the time and that simple solution. Yeah, now help describe, before we dig into the business side of it, help me understand the product a little bit better because when I first saw the name Thermocell, I assumed maybe it was a camping product, I assumed maybe it was a ground mat, I assumed maybe it was something to do with a tent. I just assumed mm -hmm. that it was something to do with the outdoors. So that part I got right. But until I started to dig into the brand a little bit more, I didn't really understand what the brand did or made. And then I did my, started to do my homework. But I come from the – I'm old enough and this is almost embarrassing to say. I come from the old blue bug zapper era where you had the big blue bug zapper that hung on your patio. And then every time mm -hmm. a mosquito flew into it, it would go and it would, it would explode into sparks but that's not how your product works. So maybe from a technical perspective, describe a little bit how the product actually works and why it's so unique in the market. Because I think, and the reason I'm asking this question is because I think a lot of brands, they fail to understand the power of uniqueness. And uniqueness builds a natural moat, particularly if you're so unique that you can patent something or you can put a copyright on it or whatever it is, that level of uniqueness becomes a natural moat to help you dominate an industry or new category of product. Absolutely. So yeah, a little, a little bit into how it works, right? So we have two mechanisms, either a mat and fuel product or a rechargeable product, but really they work in the same way, right? Depending on the product, it either disperses metaleuthrin or lethrin. It's a chemical, right? And we use a synthetic chemical, kind of it's actually coming from the chrysanthemum flower. Essentially, it heats up and makes this chemical and it makes the mosquitoes go wonky, right? So they do not come near you, right? And depending on your product, it creates a 15 and 20 foot zone, depending on your product, right? So it basically uses heat, to release a chemical that's people and pet friendly and it now creates that barrier. And what kind of makes us different is like we are EPA regulated, right? We are approved. There's things that make us really different in the market where like other companies really can't make the same claims as us. 
right? They don't have that same science behind us. We test everything, right? We have labs where we have mosquitoes and we put the product in the lab and see where the mosquitoes go, right? So much numerous of testing. Our headset scientists is well known in the community is like one of the best bug guys, right? But it's, you know, it's not that complicated, I would say. There's definitely so much technology. My engineering team would probably kill me to say it's not complicated, but it's essentially heat, heating of a chemical and then making that zone of protection for you. So we can almost think of it like an aromatherapy vaporizer, but with anti-bug chemicals in it. Yeah. So it's a very similar sort of model, right? So you get this aromatherapy vaporizer. Again, it's electric. It heats up. It warms. It releases, say, for example, essential oils or whatever it might be and make it smell really nice and very relaxing, etc. But in your case, you're releasing a chemical like a synthetic pyrethrum type of chemical that mm -hmm. then effectively creates a barrier with a, within a certain distance of the area that you're in that the, the basically it's an invisible barrier to you but it's not invisible to the mosquitoes and they don't want to come into that barrier area yeah exactly and what makes us really different so one that we work <laughs> we're coming from <laughs> a category that so much doesn't work out there and i think so many people are like i'm a mosquito magnet i always get bit me personally another reason why i came here is i am allergic i get bit all the time and the only thing that worked for me was off deep and it works great but is it best to use all the time no, it's also sticky and smells bad, but rather than getting bit by mosquitoes, absolutely. Here was a product that I was skeptical of, and I made the engineering team take it apart, show me the science, and it did. The testimonials from everyone at the company, and just people who've used it, were awesome. And that's something that we always strive on, is just word of mouth. Like, so many of our customers love us, and they will tell their friends, oh, I heard from a friend, I heard from a neighbor, right? And that's what we love to see, right? It's just people talking about us and learning from each other instead of just hearing from us. Network effects, Can't, it's exactly. irreplaceable. That's when you have market pull versus market push. It makes your job a lot easier of getting the word out about your product. You don't always have to run paid everything for acquisition. You've, got, you've mobilized a, a whole cohort of fans that evangelize on your behalf. And man, you can't beat UGC like that. You can't be UGC as word of mouth. No, you can't. It's one of the most powerful forms of marketing, right? It just you can't beat it when someone has a testimonial that's not paid for that they're just like hey this thing's awesome right sometimes they'll reach out like hey thanks for saying this could we send you a sample or whatever they're like oh great i've already had seven but i'll take an eight but it's just like awesome to see and what percentage of your business i, I won't for, ask for absolute numbers but on a percentage basis roughly what is the breakdown between direct to consumer versus yeah. b2b in the business today we're mainly B2B. So our direct-to-consumer business, there's definitely, so we're focused on live for the most part, right? So that installation system, you can buy all of our products from our own website, but I would say mainly we are a B2B business. Now we are changing and looking at different things, right? But I would standpoint as a brand, you should always have a direct-to-consumer website, but what does that purpose serve? Is it to learn more? Is it to buy? Amazon is one of the best e-commerce partners out there. They can ship it probably faster than us, right? So it's, do we want to really push so much into that or do we want to just have it available and let the consumer choose? And that's how we're more positioned for B2B to DTC. And what is the split between B2B sales that go through your B2B website versus, say, field sales reps or them placing orders via a PO or EDI or emailing a CSV to you guys and you put it into your ERP. What's that split between web-driven B2B sales versus other channels that they can do business with you through? Yeah, I would 
I'm not sure of the exact split, but I would say mainly it's us selling directly to retailers. We definitely have a few other partners out there, smaller guys. We work with a few distributors who are selling the more mom and pop shops in the Midwest and the South and things like that. But a majority of our sales are through top retailers, Amazon, Home Depot, Lowe's, Target, etc. And how do those B2B customers of yours, if, even if they're a reseller, how do they place orders with you guys? Do they place it through your e-commerce website as a B2B e-commerce customer, or do they place it through other channels, direct with a sales rep, etc.? Yeah, so they work directly with us. So someone on the sales team, we work directly with those retailers, and they'll place those directly through us, right? Those PLs will be systematic. They'll order through us. So we have direct relationships with all of our retailers. Yep. And so do you have a B2B component of your website where those B2B customers that are trade customers, say, for example, do you support them logging in through the website to place orders if they're, say, a medium-sized retailer and they don't do EDI or they don't have punch out or whatever the case may be? Definitely. Yeah. You can go to our website and we have again, an email to, hey, we're a new customer. We would like to place a purchase and that we'll decide if it's best to go directly through us, maybe place a couple buys, right? or maybe go through a distributor of ours. Uh, yeah, we can definitely, if you go to our website and you're a small to medium business, we can definitely work with you. We'll decide if it's a direct relationship or if there has to be that half step. And of those larger retailers that work with you, the Home Depots, the Lowe's of the world, are they mainly placing orders through you via EDI, via punch out, via an emailed PO? How are they mostly getting their orders into your hands? EDI. EDI, okay, great. So there's direct integration with your ERP yes. directly from their system to your system, and it doesn't really have to touch too many human hands, and it automatically gets dispatched by you guys. Yeah. If we had to touch everything, I think I would have a heart attack. But yeah, EDI definitely <laughs> changed the game. We definitely have a customer service team that will help ship those orders out, and there's a process. I don't want to downplay that, but there's definitely a systematically we receive it in. It goes through our system, right, and we accept to ship those out or not. So things have definitely gotten a lot easier over the years. Of course. And do you guys own all of your own product warehousing, distribution network, etc.? Do you do all that yourself or do you work with 3PLs in addition to have maybe having one of your own warehouses? Because I think your warehouse is based on the East Coast. And then on the West Coast, do you have another owned warehouse or do you work with a 3PL on the West Coast? Or how does your, how is your logistics structured? Yeah, we actually, right now, we only have one warehouse in Georgia, and they're warehouse and manufacturing. So we manufacture some of our products outside the U.S., but we actually manufacture a lot in the U.S. as well. So our plant manufactures, ships, also does DTC. They're a machine down there, and they'll actually ship all the way to the West Coast, too. So that is our only facility that we own, and then we'll ship everything out through that one facility. Wow, that's amazing. And what, what are some of the systems and technology? What does your technology stack look like? I know on the front end, you use Craft CMS and you use some other technologies on the front end. You use a bit of HubSpot there and there for forms and other things. But what, are, what does your e-commerce or technology stack look like as of today? And do you have anything on your radar that you're going, oh, that's great, but we'd like to upgrade this piece or we'd like to upgrade this piece because of X, Y, Z reasons? Yeah, I think we're always looking at new technologies to help us. And I think part of that too is we have really great agency partners who have built-in technologies, right? So we work with a company called OneStone and they're our, really our best Amazon ads partner and retail partners, right? And they partner with Jungle Scout and PackView, right? And we kind of use Stackline and Product Win. There's so many different tools we use all for different sources, right? One might be influencer, one might be for more data sources. We also use, we've been really developing AMC this year, Amazon Marketing Cloud. So depending on what we're trying to do, we have different tools, right? Profitero, now I'm just like shooting off different tools, but we have at least, I would say nine to 10 tools in our toolkit to help 
either sales or advertising or operations, depending on what you're trying to figure out, we have a different tool for it. Love it. And what ERP, if, you don't, if you're free to say, what ERP and warehouse management system do you use that then obviously has to share data with a lot of these other systems so that when things get shipped, for example, you have to send out shipping details, et cetera. So there's a lot of, when we look at these B2B stacks in particular, there's a lot of system integration that in the D2C, B2C world, there's a lot more, let's say, out-of-the-box integrations, apps that you can just plug in and they all play together nicely, the Clavios of the world, et cetera. They all just play together nicely and you've got this predefined design pattern of technology that is often used in the B2C world, but in B2B, not so much. So what are yeah. some of your back office technologies that you guys use today? And are you pretty happy with how those are playing nicely together? Yeah, to be honest, I don't really know. And that's for me a good thing because, you know, what I, I trust my operations and my IT team to pick the best tools. Is not, my thing is if I'm not hearing it's an issue, that means it's working. So I wish, I guess, I knew a little bit more of the exact operational tools, but I'm not too sure because, I let, you know, that team handle it, right? And now if there was multiple issues, I would say, yes, we have a problem and I probably would know more about it. But from my standpoint, things flow through correctly. There's issues, they figure it out, and I'm paying when there's more of a fire, and there isn't too many there. So I'll take that as a win. And I guess you're not KPI'd on those elements anyway. You're KPI'd more on the sell-through rates, the conversion rates, the traffic sources, etc. You're more KPI'd on the customer experience on the front end and what that looks like and making sure that's performing well. And as you say, there's an element of A, selling, but there's also an element of educating, entertaining. There's an element of that because not all your customers are going to buy direct through you. They might be buying through Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever it is, but they still, they might start their search online and they might find out, they might be searching bug repellent or mosquito repellent online. And so therefore you want to rank organically, plus you want to have a really good performance marketing strategy around all those keywords that might relate to you guys. And I'm sure you manage a lot of that. But then they might ultimately execute the purchase, not through your website, but through someone that they can just drive down the street. And if I've got a party tonight, for example, and I'm going to have a dinner party by my swimming pool and I know it's going to be a bloody problem, I'm not going to wait for it to ship from your website. I'm going to drive down to Home Depot and I'm going to be, first of all, I'm going to do my research online. Then I'm going to go down to Home Depot and I'm going to bloody buy the thing so that I can have my party tonight and not have everybody get bit, right? Exactly. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. So the way I look at it, if I did my job, is that everyone knows that Amazon's used as a search engine, right? That and Google and every other retailer, right? So if the product looks good and you want to go and buy it, cool. You don't have to buy it at that com, right? It doesn't matter where you get it, right? Or buy online, pick up in store today. That's becoming bigger and bigger, right? But if you're finding it online and you're saying, hey, this thing works and you're excited by it and you go buy wherever, cool on me. Right? As long as you're buying a thermosel, the local hardware store, wherever you need to buy your shopping. That's all I care about is that you're now seeking it, you're finding it, and it's making it easy for you to purchase your path to purchase, whatever your purchase path may be. And from a B2B customer acquisition perspective, is there any expectation that your work will lead to more retailers making an inquiry with the business and saying, hey, tell me more about this product. We'd love to think about carrying it. We have a local hardware store in town. We don't have anything like this. We want to be onboarded into your system. Or is the expectation that like you have field sales reps that will reach out to those type of people? What is the split of the expectation around you helping to acquire new B2B customers versus the sales team doing that heavy lift? Yeah, and I think it's Kind of a mixed bag. We do have a lot of field sales reps that go out there and they sell in, right? And they say, hey, you should really buy our products. And there's a lot of people that come to us. 
And I think that comes to how many people know about us, right? And I said before, one of our goals as a company is to increase that household penetration, but then the same is increase that business threshold penetration, right? If consumers don't know about it as much as these smaller businesses will, right? So it's really both, right? We have great partners we work with and they go out there and sell them. People also just find out about us come directly to us and say, hey, I heard about you guys, can you sell to me? So I'm not sure the exact split there, but I think it's really, it's both. We, whoever wants to buy us, right, from us, I'm hoping we can partner with them to buy from us, right, in a bigger way. So if you're hearing about us, come to us, right, let's see if we can do something. If not, we have great partners to work with as well. And how big of a part does the website play in educating the retailers that sell your product? Is it something that they would come back to the website over time to download things like spec sheets and info packs and maybe some collateral around images and things like that that they then can present in their store or make part of the point of sale experience, etc.? How, how heavily are digital channels used as an educational and upskilling tool for your resellers to actually get what they need from you to be able to then do a really good job of selling your product in store. Yeah, that's actually a great point. So we actually just revamped our website to make it more of learn more, right? Where you go there and if either you're a business or you're a consumer and you can say, hey, what does this thing actually do? And you can click on our E55, which is our number one selling product, right? And say, hey, how does this work? And we can see really clearly how it works. What does it do? right, the price point, how many hours it lasts, right? And that's the purpose, right? And then you can go from there and you can either buy or inquire more. And then in terms of like assets, right? That's more partnering with us, right? If you're like, hey, we wanna sell it on our own website or we wanna do a printout display in our store front of center, great, we'll work with you and we'll set that up, right? Like here are some spec sheets of here, how it should look and what it should be like, right? Because at the end of the day, we do want our brand to stay consistent, right? So if you're buying from us, we want you to have our best images. We want you to have our most late content, right? We don't want you trying to pull from different sources, right? So we try to make it all readily available and update it as much as possible. One thing that us, I've been here now like a little under two years and we refreshed our content like five times. <laughs> so wow. constantly learning and updating, right? Like every few months, we're like, okay, you know what? People really care about this and we're doing it, but we're not really propelling how much we're saying we do it. We're not taking credit for it. So we kind of change with the tides of what people care about, right? Sustainability is a really big focus now, and right? And there's parts of our product that are sustainable and as a company where we need to be more sustainable. So let's talk about it, right? Let's get our credit where credit's due. And is there a, I don't know, a mandate is probably too strong of a word, but is there a desire within the business to, for all of the resellers, and wholesale buyers of the product that are smaller than your Home Depots, your Lowe's, your big companies that can handle EDI, is there a desire to go out there and upgrade the website experience for small and medium B2B customers so that, for example, when a customer gets created in the ERP, they're automatically created in the B2B e-commerce website that things like MOQs can be synced across, things like price lists can be synced across, things like request a quote can happen through the front end for that really B2B specific experiential stuff, tiered, tiered buying, tiered accounts. So you've got a senior buyer, junior buyer, procurement specialist, mm -hmm. whatever it might be, that are all linked to the one master buyer account in the e-com experience, not just in the ERP. Is there an expectation in the business that the business will continue to invest in the B2B e-com experience to make it as seamless and easy as buying through Amazon, but for your B2B customers? Absolutely. I think the whole 
thought is we want to make it as seamless as possible all the time, right? So if there's a tool that we can plug in and everything flows through perfectly, I think that'd be the goal. I don't know of a tool that exists like that yet, but maybe there's one coming out soon. But I think, yeah, we want to make sure that even if you're a middle partner or lower tier partner, right? Maybe your sales aren't as great as say an Amazon or a Walmart. Doesn't mean that they're less important, right? It just means that people buy from you differently, but we still want to make that end consumer experience the best for your customer and ours, right? Like wherever you buy, because we want to look like, hey, Thermosel's the best mosquito brand out there. And of your sort of direct-to-consumer channels, would Amazon be your biggest direct? And obviously, you've got Amazon background, so you know Amazon backward, forward, sideways. Would Amazon be your number one direct-to-consumer channel today? And do you guys prefer, or do you guys sell 1P or 3P through Amazon? Do you want to just supply to Amazon and let them sell it, or do you prefer to stay as a 3P partner with Amazon, third-party partner? Yeah, we're a 1P partner with Amazon. There's give and takes there, but I think it's definitely working for us. We have a great partnership with them. Definitely in the summertime, we have some great advertising results. People just finding us. I think, again, people use Amazon as a search engine. So if you're finding Thermosel, a lot of times they'll go to Amazon first instead of Google. But we partner with everyone. So yeah, they're definitely important to us, but so are so many of our other customers as well. And do you have a vision on, so you said you sell through Amazon and through Walmart. I'm guessing that's the Walmart marketplace you sell through. And or do they actually physically carry it in their stores? Yeah, we're a one P oh, partner. Oh, you're a physical retail partner of theirs as well. Oh, you're a one P partner with them as well. Oh, great. Okay, yeah. so they literally buy and retail your products. Oh, that's amazing. And uh, do you have? Because what I found is that B two B and both B two C and D two C are converging a little bit in some respects from a from a marketplace perspective. For example, Amazon Business now allows you to effectively be a B two B seller on their marketplace and they're pushing that really hard right now and it's still through the same interface but they're pushing b2b suppliers really hard now on amazon particularly in europe i've seen and there are now more dedicated b2b marketplaces than there ever have been before you look at fair and you look at some of the other dedicated b2b marketplaces but then you still have the really strong d2c b2c marketplaces like your ebays of the world like your mercado libres of the world are you guys looking to map out a growth strategy across new marketplace channels? Or are you pretty happy with the marketplace partners you have today? I think there's always room for opportunity and growth. And I think when I came in is I saw we were penetrated a few places online. So my first point of business was like, okay, where do we grow in our existing channels and maybe pick up a new couple channels that we're not in? Marketplace expansion for me is a whole nother devil. And I've done that in my past life, but you really need a strong team and a strong foundation before you go for it. And I learned that the hard way with eBay, right? I was like, oh, just go for it. It's a great marketplace. And it is, but it takes a lot of time, resources, people, energy, right? There's so many things that feed into it. So marketplace, I think is a massive opportunity, but also takes a ton of time and execution, right? And you need to be set up and ready for that, right? And I think that's, I think a mistake sometimes that brands and people make is they go into it, let's go after it full force and they're not ready. So I think we definitely want to get there. I think we have some more room to grow and figure out before we expand on, let's say, four or five of the marketplaces. But I do think that's somewhat of the future. And the way I see e-commerce going somewhat is switching over to marketplace instead of a one-to-one relationship. And were th- was Thermosel already selling on Amazon, Walmart, et cetera, before you came along? Or did you basically bring your Amazon experience with you and say, guys – why the hell are we not selling on Amazon? We got to be here. And then you helped to get them onto Amazon or did you basically help them level up their Amazon game? 
level up. So they were already selling on Amazon and Walmart, thank God. But I think one of the pieces that I came was like, okay, they have a good business. But coming from Amazon, I was like, I'm maybe not seeing them pop up in different ways. And bringing in new knowledge of, they were, everyone was very focused on mosquito repellent. And that's the only segment, right? But I'm like, the way Amazon sees it is sports and outdoors or patio lawn and garden, right? So they're looking at it a different way. And one thing I've learned is just over the years is look at your business in the way that retailer looks at your business and talk in the way they talk in your terms, right? So talking to Amazon, terms, talking to Amazon, talking to Walmart, terms, talking to Walmart, right? Because that's how you're going to win. And that's how we're leveling up, right? We're continuing to invest more in different areas and experiment and test and learn. And that's the fun with e-com. I feel like there's, it's not static, right? And this year, I said it a little bit before, but Amazon Marketing Cloud came out with great new data. We've been leaning in so heavily with this new data set and getting so many great learns and just getting better, smarter, and faster. But it was really, that was me. It was just like, there was a structure there. There was a foundation, but how do we just continue to grow and be better and be better partners than so many of our retailers and customers? And are you guys leveraging Amazon PPC as well as being a 1P supplier to them as well? Are you leveraging both of those opportunities on the one platform? Yeah. So what did you say? PPC? Yeah, PPC. Are you le I'm leveraging Amazon advertising in addition to oh, being yeah. a 1P supplier to them? Yeah, so definitely Amazon ad partner. We've done a few different things with them. They're a great partner of ours. So it's a direct relationship. So definitely every, we kind of touch I think, every part of Amazon there is. <laughs> so if there's a partner and if there's always a new beta, we're usually like the first to say, let's jump in on it. But we, yeah, we try to maximize all that we can with all of our retail partners. And what would you say to the brands that are terrified of Amazon? I hear the fear in the market, not only from a competitor perspective that these, a lot of these brands, they say Amazon's actually a competitor to us. They're trying to sell in competition with us. And particularly if they're not a manufacturer, if they're just a reseller of another person's product and they're competing with Amazon. And, and I think they're also a little bit afraid that if they don't, for example, meet the shipping requirements of Amazon and get things there quick enough or they can't fulfill the prime promise or they don't use FBA, they're so afraid of breaking a rule with Amazon that they're like, I know that, man, I, if I set one foot wrong, I'm either going to get kicked off Amazon altogether, I'm going to get demoted in the results, and I may have put all this money and effort and energy into Amazon, and I could lose out on that channel almost overnight. And so I think that there's a healthy respect slash fear of Amazon, the Borg, that they have so much market dominance that brands are hesitant to even try Amazon for fear of putting a step wrong and then falling out of Amazon's good graces and then effectively being banned from the platform. So I know you've been, now you've worked in two ways with Amazon, internally and externally. But for you, do you think the fear by retailers of working with Amazon is warranted? I understand the caution. I think caution's healthy. And I think going into it, knowing that you have to make these certain requirements is good. How many times have I seen these fake videos of, oh, I made a million dollars on Amazon Marketplace by reselling this fake, it's just so not true. But I think going into it, understanding the FBA fees, your FBM fees, and understanding where your margins need to be and shipping requirements, that is all good. doesn't mean you have to be scared, right? You should go in full force, but you have to be ready for that demand. And maybe if like you're not ready to grow that much set those standards i think the good thing about amazon marketplace in particular you control your own fate right you can set your own pricing you can set your inventory you just have to be good about it right and if you don't know everything there's plenty of people out there that do have that knowledge right but it's like, don't be afraid because you're going to sell probably a lot more with them than maybe some other channels right so go for it but i think 
heavily, cautionally scared is always a good thing, but I would say don't not do it, right? Because you're nervous. Just make sure you get the right resources and staff in place and then go for it. And how much of your Amazon experience was important to your employer? Because you had this deep experience with Amazon. You knew them from the inside. They maybe wanted to expand their Amazon business but didn't know how. And they wanted how much of you being hired as an e-com manager was predicated on the fact that, hey, Amazon is an important channel for us, but we want it to become a whole lot more important. But we need some inside skills to be able to help us level up. And we really need to get somebody that has done this before, been there and done that. How much of that played a part in you taking the role or getting the role at Thermocell? I would say a good amount. <laughs> I think there's other things that factor into it, but I think that is a being in the belly of the beast and working with them and just even just outside of Amazon, just learning, like you learn so much about e-commerce just working at Amazon. It's like, what, what is going on? What is developing? And part of that too. But I think it, it is a big part because we're working with them, without them, it's just knowledge is key. Yeah, I think it had part of it definitely i think everyone does seek someone that worked for amazon and amazonians they're great they're all really smart they're all go-getters right just right, finding that right place absolutely and what would be your if you were to consolidate down the time that you spent at thermocell and you were to distill down let's say a let's say a b2b manufacturer making small home goods similar similar to yours if they were looking if they today they have a b2b business they don't sell direct to consumer. And I'm seeing more B2B brands wanting to sell direct to consumer than ever before, and vice versa for that matter, direct to consumer brands that want to develop a B2B side of their business or a B2B channel. Because you guys do have this really strong direct to consumer channel, if a B2B business today, let's say they're even, I don't know, let's say they're even doing B2B e-commerce pretty well today, but they've never dabbled in D2C land before and yeah. selling direct to the end consumer. What would be your top one, two, or three tips for that B2B brand before they jump straight into the deep end of direct-to-consumer? Yeah, my number one thing is, what edge does your own website have? And that's the first thing you have to ask. Why would someone go, let's say you're selling plans.com, I don't know, right? Why are you going to plans.com? Do you have a loyalty offer? Do you have a better shipping offer? Is there exclusivity of colors? So that's my first question is, why are people going to you rather than someone they already have their credit card information set up with that they can hit checkout, right? That's my first question. Second question is, what is the purpose? Is the purpose to sell or is it to learn more? I think, again, I think there's always a good part to have our own brand website, but for everyone to ship their own product out, it depends, right? Certain companies, you can take away, right? They nail the directing consumer model. Why? Because you really can't buy it anywhere else, right? You can go to their retail stores or on the website. So they, that, they dialed in that way. Right, but other brands didn't dial in that way. And you were, why is that consumer going there? So I think those are my two biggest tips is if you're gonna do it, make it niche for someone to go to your website. Otherwise, you're just competing with yourself. And I'm gonna flip the script and say, if you're a DC brand today and you're exploring a B2B e-commerce channel or a B2B channel full stop, what would be your top one or two tips that you'd say, okay, you've nailed direct to consumer and you're used to selling one, two, three units per order and sending it to one individual and you've orientated your whole customer service around that model. And now all of a sudden with B2B, you're looking at shipping cartons, pallets and containers and maybe even having a sales rep of some description. That's a totally different kettle of fish, right? It's a totally different business model altogether. What would be your advice going the other direction, D2C and adding a B2B channel? Yeah, I would say operationally, be ready for it, right? Like you said, you're doing things very differently than you did before. 
but also brand control, right? I think you're so used to, hey, you only have one thing to worry about, your own website and how you betray the brand. Once you start shipping product out to other retailers, some of that brand control, you lose those grips, right? So make sure you're picking the right partners and make sure you're putting out what you want to put out, right? Maybe don't start with your full catalog. Start with one or two SKUs, see how it goes, and then expand out because you're going to get learning for the one or two SKUs right away. But it, there's plenty of brands. I think I saw Peloton selling on Amazon now, right, as of this year. So that was, a, now there's, they were doing great. Maybe they, they probably expanded a lot of sales there. I don't know, but I'm sure they had learnings of pricing, right? Now all of a sudden, they're not controlling their pricing as much as they want to. Make sure that you have those controls in place because once you start that, there's no coming back as much as probably an error with regard to consumer website. It's a slippery slope, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, the it's like Pandora's box. It's once it's open, you can't put the I uh, can't put the genie back in the bottle. You cannot. As much as you <laughs> would you rub the genie bottle, right? Yeah, there's no going back. It's done. So, love it, Matt. Look, thank you so much for sharing your time and your knowledge and your experience with me. This has been so great. We're coming to the end of our time together, but we're now we're at the place where I get to flip the script, hand the microphone over to you, let you ask me one question, any question you like, can be personal or professional. So Matt Donan from Thermocell, what's your question for me today? Yeah, Jason, you've been doing this, I guess, a very long time. Right? I think you told me like you've been doing podcasts for 20 years. I would say, what do you think is the biggest change in consumer buying you've seen, right? Even podcasts, people are learning from podcasts and different things, right? So what do you think is the biggest change that you think companies get a grasp on? I think it's, I've only been doing the podcast for a few years, but I've been in e-com for over 20. And I think that consumer empowerment and what that means to different groups of consumers is different, but consumer empowerment and choice is something that all brands, regardless of where they operate, regardless of how they operate, they have to deal with that. And we now have to be in a place where as brands, we have to be magnets instead of lassos. And in the earlier days of e-commerce, when it was cheap, when customer acquisition was cheap and easy through the likes of Facebook and the likes of Google, we could just put an ad out there and we could grow a business. I remember when I had my first e-commerce pure play, it was actually pretty easy to grow a business because there was hardly any competition in almost every category. There was, there was very rarely a dominant e-commerce player in a category. Now, there's a dominant player in every single category, every single geography, every single market. There is a lot more competition out there today. And so in order to stand out, you can't just re rely on cheap and easy acquisition and churn and burn. That churn and burn mindset doesn't work anymore in e-commerce. It's too expensive to acquire to then just churn a customer. And so I think there has to be a lot more focus on playing in the spaces where your customers already are and being present there. And I think that goes back to also being represented in all the places where your customers are and letting them buy seamlessly and frictionlessly in every place where they are. And so that means if you're a DTC brand today, you're, there's no way that you're going to be in every potential purchase situation of your target cohort, right? Your target TAM. And as a result, you almost have to from a distribution perspective because there's no way that you're going to be able to afford to acquire every single potential customer as a direct consumer brand. So you almost have to be thinking about where are some of my potential distributor partners or reseller partners what markets do they play in that I will never play in and that they have access to customers that I could never access and vice versa? I think B2B brands that have been staunchly B2B forever, 
that they go, oh, we don't really understand that direct-to-consumer thing. It's all too hard. It's too expensive. We have to understand digital marketing. We don't really get that. I think they have to think about that now more than ever before because from a brand credibility perspective and from a brand ownership perspective, you have to be communicating directly to customers and you have to be getting a feedback loop going with those end customers for new product development and all those other things that come along with and even quality feedback for direct from the consumer. And I think that we're going to see a blurring of the lines between D2C, B2B. I think we're going to see further blurring of those lines over the next couple of years in ways that we've never seen before. Because I think that the traditional direct-to-consumer brands that have done really well but also have a massive B2B business, if you think of somebody like a Nike, for example, they have historically the lion's share of their business was B2B. Then they slowly over time have built up DTC to where now it is a massive, I think they're, I think it's at 28% or something now or 30% or something now. So it's significant for them, but they were historically a wholesaler. They made shoes and they sold them through, through retailers, end of story. And, and so I think that now with the shifting sentiment of where customers can do not only product discovery, but price discovery, I think channel mix now is more important than ever before. That would be my take. I fully agree with you, and I think the long story short is meet the customer where they are. Show up where they're buying. Nike said, hey, we're going to create an app. People are loving us directly, right, and we're going to go this route, and they met their customer where they are. So I think that's, yeah, showing up, getting placement, letting that customer decide, but making sure that you're present enough where they know who you are, right, and they can make that choice from there. Couldn't have said it better myself. Where can people find you, Matt, if they want to reach out to you and have a conversation with you? I realize you're obviously full-time with Thermocell. Do you prefer that people, if you want to shoot the breeze about e-commerce, is it best for people to reach out to you on LinkedIn or where or Twitter? Where would you prefer that people reach out and get connected with you? Yeah, probably LinkedIn, active user. So I would say that's probably the first best step. If you look at it on Twitter, you probably might find me, but I probably won't answer because I won't know who you are. But definitely LinkedIn. I love chatting with different types of people about different types of ideas. And that's about e-commerce, right? retail, whatever it may be, right? But I think that's how we learn, right? Is we learn from other people smarter than us, right? And what they're doing, right? In different fields. So yeah, LinkedIn, Matt's on and whatever someone wants to chat, we'd love to chat. Love it. And I will put the link just for anybody that wants, I will put the link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes so people can just click straight through from that to your profile on LinkedIn. Matt, I've had a fantastic conversation with you. I appreciate you sharing from your deep pool of experience and I look forward to having a chat again in the future, my friend. You too, Jason. It's great talking to you. If you're into B2B commerce and you would like to be a guest on B2B Commerce Corner, simply go to ecommerceedge.net Click on more info, then click on be a guest and fill out your details and we will get back to you straight away.